I have a bunch of tips about building an SLA uh, that I would kind of share with everybody. Would love to hear them. This is Inside HubSpot, where we take you behind the scenes to uncover the tactics and strategies that grew HubSpot to a $2 billion company with more than 180,000 customers globally. I'm your host, Kat Warboys, and throughout the show, we'll hear from HubSpotters, experts in their field on how we pioneered the inbound methodology, built an award-winning culture, uncovered new channels for growth, created a blog with more than 11 million subscribers, and much, much more. Whether you're a startup or a scale-up, a marketer or the CEO, you'll learn from our triumphs and our missteps that can be applied to help you grow better. In our previous episode, we spoke with HubSpot's Senior VP of Marketing, John Dick, who covered what the flywheel is and how we pioneered the inbound methodology. One of the most common questions I get asked in my role is how to foster better collaboration between marketing and sales. This is a challenge that all marketers wrestle with at some point in their career. Sales are forever wanting more leads, but marketing never feel like the demand generated is being followed up with. Naturally, this can cause some challenges. In this mini episode, I chat to John about how HubSpot tackles this very problem using a service level agreement or the SLA as we like to call it. Let's dive in. An SLA is a service level agreement. I first got exposed to SLAs not in a sales and marketing context, but actually more in a technology context. Um, you know, you know, either in manufacturing or when you purchase from a technology company, they have some sort of SLA with their customers where they say our service level agreement is that our service will be up to this bar in order for, you know, and if it drops below that, then like we're not doing our job. And if it stays above that, we're doing our job. And it's just a way to like, I think essentially tell your customers how reliable you're going to be. And when you apply it to sales and marketing, it works the same exact way, right? It's a, um, for sales and marketing, it's a two-sided agreement. It essentially measures how much demand marketing commits to drive every month or every quarter or every year, depending on your business model. Um, and the flip side of it is that the sales has a side of the SLA, which is like what they commit to do in terms of working that demand. And so like it immediately creates a situation where the most common disagreements between marketing and sales teams, which as we all know, goes something like this. Sales teams say the leads are no good. And the marketing team says you're not working the leads. Like it immediately eliminates those disagreements because marketing can just say, we agreed to how much we drive and what the criteria for that would be. And you would agree to work it. And if one team drops below, then you can say, okay, cool. You're not doing your job. And if it stays above, then it's like, okay, we're, we're doing our job. And it, it just eliminates like 95% of the disagreements and the arguments. And it takes something that, um, you know, used to be somewhat subjective and makes it very objective. And I think that's the key to foundation for a great sales and marketing relationship. And we can get very formula driven with that, right? On exactly what does good look like? And so more from HubSpot's perspective, how does that planning process to build an SLA look? Um, what teams are we dependent on? How do we approach that at HubSpot each year? Yeah. The process of setting the SLA is, it's an art. Uh, there's definitely a fair bit of negotiation in there because um, you should build in many rounds of feedback and approvals because the marketers will largely go and say, here's what I can do next year. And the sales team will say, that's not enough. And the marketing team has to kind of go back and say, maybe I can do some more. And maybe if I get more budget and, and whatnot, I could, I could up it a little. And so create a couple of rounds there. But the key players are typically, you know, your marketing leaders, your sales leaders, and your ops team. 
you know, if your team has a RevOps team, that's ideal because RevOps um, doesn't report to marketing or sales in most cases and can kind of act as a neutral third party to um, oversee that process, which is great. Um, but if it's a marketing ops and a sales ops team, then, um, you know, you just have to be somewhat just reasonable with each other in, in terms of, you know, what could be expected. I have a bunch of tips about building an SLA uh, that I would kind of share with everybody. Would love to hear them. I think the first is it has to be value-based, not volume-based. Do not get yourself into a situation as a marketer where you're signing up to a volume goal. You're just going to be really unhappy with it because it's going to force you down a path of doing things that uh, produce low-quality demand that's not going to close well. And it's just going to create a situation where your sales team is actually going to come back and say, this stuff's just not good. And um, that's just not the kind of relationship you want to have. So instead, you want to build an SLA that's based on value, pipeline value or, um, you know, closed one revenue value. You definitely want it to be a leading indicator, not a lagging indicator. So you don't want to use actual MRR. You want to use either some expected MRR calculation or a pipeline calculation or something like that. My third tip about building an SLA would be to whatever extent possible, define your marketing QLs uh, very explicitly. Yeah. When I joined HubSpot, um, we used to have more of a scoring model for our MQLs. And it was kind of like, oh, if they did enough activities, like then they're an MQL, they're engaged enough to, for marketing to qualify them. And it just led to this like constant, like, yeah, of course they attended that webinar. They have no interest. They're not a QL. And so we shifted it to a world where the only people who counted as QLs were hand raisers. And by that, we mean like they explicitly asked to talk to the sales team. Now, what it did is it actually meant that like we couldn't produce the same value out of the gate the following year in terms of, you know, total SLA value, but that SLA was going to be way higher quality and was going to eliminate disagreements and then put us on a path to actually, so we like took a step back um, from a, a contribution perspective when we made that change. But in taking that step back, we actually took a step forward because everybody was on the same page about it. And then we could focus on building that type of QL and, and obsessing about that. Yeah. Such greater efficiency. Yeah. My fourth tip for building an SLA uh, is that green's got to match green. If your marketing SLA is in the green every month and your sales team is in the red, you got a problem. And nothing rubs teams wrong more than saying, hey, marketing did our job. Sucks that you missed. Like, even if you're in the green, just say, we're going to have to raise our SLA. Like, we're just going to get in the trenches with you and do it. I think it's one of the best things you can do if, you're, if your sales team is, is in the red, is something went wrong in the planning and you've got to step it up. So all of that, yes, I think we, the way we re-looked at what a QR was is so much more efficient. <laughs> Definitely though, do I miss the days where we could run a webinar and be like, woo, <laughs> 200 QLs. <laughs> Life was There's a step back for a step forward, Kat, you know? <laughs> By the way, those, those engaged leads, you can still, you can call them, you know, engaged non-qualified QLs. You can call them high intent non-QLs. You can call them a whole bunch of things. You can still surface them to your sales team but you shouldn't demand that your sales team work every single one of them, right? Yeah. You should put it through some sort of fit and intent matrix or some sort of intuition-based rep matrix to say, I'm only going to work some of these because there's no way that all 200 webinar attendees are interested in buying HubSpot, nor could they afford to if they wanted to. Yeah, no, 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 I, I totally agree. When I think about how our reps source, there is that like, it's a, it's a 
prioritization effort, right? Still to this day. So there's yeah. the QLs, which we define as very like, to your point, high intent. It's literally somebody asking to be contacted by sellers. It's somebody asking for a demonstration, no more webinar registrations. Then there are all those leads that we gather from those inbound activities that are available to our sales team to source and, and work and investigate further. And then there's this kind of like other bucket. And this leads me to a question that I think has been a controversial one at HubSpot. And I think anybody that's been following our journey always asks this question, which is, you know, we have this really strong inbound model. Does HubSpot do outbound? The answer is yes. We definitely do outbound. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, we have some principles around outbounding. Definitely. We hold ourselves to a spam standard. Uh, we don't believe in spamming people. You know, we hold ourselves to a standard of adding value before we extract value. If our reps are doing outreach, we want them to have a unique and valuable offer. But, you know, I think that the, the truth is five to seven years ago, you know, we could drive a huge percentage of our pipeline from inbound um, because, you know, we were going after a demand capture strategy at the same time that um, that ch you know, the inbound uh, channel was growing at the time, which was search. And um, so we were both on this path where like every year we could just produce more and more and more inbound. It was great. And now what we're actually seeing is like, it is harder and harder for marketers to capture the demand that they get through inbound channels. Um, you know, 65% of searches don't end in a click to a website anymore. You know, ads dominate. Um, and so like when inbound marketing started, advertising wasn't part of the methodology. Well, guess what? Like, you know, in 2015, 2016, 2017, it became really clear that if you wanted to reach customers who were looking to learn about your space or the problem that they had, like one of the best ways to do it was to do search ads and to follow them with some social ads. And our lens has always just been like, we have to adapt to uh, the way that, you know, buyer behavior is changing and how to reach people but we need to continue to do it in a way where we add value at each step of it. And so, you know, that tries to be the lens that we put on it. And there's lots of ways to do that. I do want to come back to your greenhouse to match green, your your fourth tip, because I think there's an example that many um, listeners would be experiencing right now, which is cool. Yeah, maybe marketing are delivering their number of QLs, um, but sales are missing. And a really good example of why that is happening, I think, in our industry and across the board at the moment is you know, deals are taking longer um, to close. So if you are running um, based, as you said, on more historical data, you know, we're using close rates, but now we're actually seeing those delay out further. We're in this scenario where marketing is in the green on their side of the SLA and, and sales are actually hurting. You know, I think in an example like that, like what does HubSpot do? Do we like, what's an example of us rolling up our sleeves here, helping the sales teams where we see, yeah, they're, they're in the red. And it's probably because of, longer sales cycles? Well, we try and get surgical about it. And we say, well, okay, cool. If we have a close rate problem, what can we do to improve close rates? And what can we do to accelerate deals? Um, and so you can imagine all sorts of things that are deal accelerants uh, or close rate accelerants, you know, more tools to arm the champions to go to their CFO and their CIO and ensure them that, um, you know, HubSpot is a, uh, an investment that's going to get a high return, more events to actually engage with people who are thinking about buying and get them to really understand the value prop so um, that it goes from something that's a nice to have to a must have. Um, we also do a lot on the pure like demand side. Um, 
you know, we try and free up more budget to actually go and generate more demand. Um, we try and run more campaigns that can actually create more pipeline for the sales team. And so like marketing kind of says, hey, um, we not be we may not be able to make up the entire gap on our own, but we certainly can sign up to help with some of it. Um, and I think that goes uh, a pretty long way with most sales teams so that they feel like we're, we're partners. So there you have it. HubSpot's SVP of marketing, John Dick, on what an SLA is, how to build one, and a bonus tip on tackling lower SLA performance in this current environment. Thanks for tuning in to Inside HubSpot. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and check out all resources in our show notes or head to hubspot.com forward slash inside HubSpot. We'll catch you on the next episode.